What is going on? A happy hump day to all of you, especially you and yours. Let's get right to it. We have a lot to talk about on today's podcast. Of course, we're on Spotify, Apple Pods, and also YouTube. Don't forget, with the comments turned on now, uh, rate, review, like, subscribe. That's the only way that you guys can truly support me in this venture. I'm doing it alone. So here we are, Nick Cattle Show. And, you know, I've talked about it before. And I said this a little bit yesterday before the moral victory conversation that hopefully many of you enjoyed. I've said that the tagline for this podcast is Boston Sports Talk Done Different. And I want that to have meaning. And I can promise you that what we're going to start with today is something that nobody else is going to talk about. Information that nobody else will have. Work that nobody else has done until this very moment. I've got content for you today that in this city and elsewhere, if you're just a Boston sports fan, wherever you're listening from, we appreciate you. You're not going to hear this from anybody else. You're not going to hear this anywhere but here, unless it gets ganked eventually here over the next couple of days, which is certainly possible, which I have no problem with as long as I get a little bit of pub from who steals it from me. So what am I talking about? I have Mac Jones statistics that are going to shock you. I have Mac Jones stats that I think will shock most of Patriots fans and especially Patriots pundits and talk show hosts. Because what I've heard over the past week, and I'm sure this has gone on for the past year plus, but what I've heard an awful lot of over the past couple of days, which is driving me crazy, is that Mac Jones made zero plays in the fourth quarter to help his team. That's crap. I've told you that's crap. I've given you examples of that being crap. Not to say that Mac has been perfect. He wasn't. He wasn't perfect on Sunday. He made mistakes in the fourth quarter, delay of game, took a couple of sacks. We all know the mistakes he made, but I don't think it's fair to look at just the negative plays and act as if he did not have a single solitary positive play in the fourth quarter and act as if his wide receivers did not have a golden opportunity to bail him out and the team and help them win that football game on Sunday. So I keep hearing this from everybody, and it's really driving me crazy because I like fairness. I, I like laying out all of the evidence. I like statistics and analytics. So I decided to do some work today. I decided I was going to take a look at Mac Jones in one possession games. But not only that, because that would have been one step of the work for you. And that's not enough. I wanted to look at Mac Jones in one possession games versus Tom Brady in one possession games as Patriots quarterback. Now, before we go any further, I know this is going to be aggregated by somebody. I know somebody like Jay Stew or Arkhand or Billy Lanny, or they could, you know, pull some of this that I'm going to share with you and make this sound like I'm representing something different as the ultimate point. I want to make this clear. I am not saying, I am not saying that Mac Jones is better than Tom Brady. If I was going to say that, if that was the point of this podcast today, I am delusional and I should never host again. I should never have a podcast. Kick me out of the city. Kick me out of the state. Kick me out of the region. Kick me out of the country if you want. I am not. Again, I am not saying that Mac is better than Brady. Brady, but that's, that's not this conversation. Okay. I want to make that clear at the top. That is not this conversation. That, that is not the point of this exercise. But the point of this exercise is to fairly look at Mac 
in his level of play in tight games. And I define tight games by one possession games at the NFL level. How did Mac play in those games since he's been a Patriot? Because the other thing I've heard, other than the falsehood that Mac made no plays or made no throws late in that game and that the defense gave him two opportunities to win the game and he, he couldn't come through for his team, again, crap, Kendrick Bourne, Kayshawn Booty, we've been through it. The other thing I've heard is it's very popular now to just sit back and say, oh, well, Mac wets himself. He pees down his leg in tight games. He can't handle pressure. And, and how can you believe in a quarterback that can't win you these tight one-possession games? Well, I've got a message, and that message is a simple one. It is do the work. And today, I did a lot of work before this podcast, and I had no idea what the results were going to be of this work. And based off of the results of the work I did, that's what my opinion would have been. That's how I would have formed my opinion. I would have said, well, this is the numbers, this is the work I did, and this is the result of that work. So I did the work. I did the work on Mac versus Brady in one possession games. Now, look, Brady played two decades for the Patriots. I thought it was most fair, most fair. Here's the premise that I looked at Tom Brady's last two seasons in New England. Okay, so I'm looking at 2018 and 2019 Brady, 2018, 2019 Brady. And I'm looking at Mac's rookie year, Mac last year. And I threw in Sunday's game against the Eagles. Okay, that's the premise. Brady in 2018 and 19, Mac Jones, rookie year last year, and the game Sunday against the Eagles. Now, let me start with Brady's 2018. Brady had Edelman, wasn't the same guy. Brady had Gronk, wasn't the same guy. But what Brady did have was the fifth best rushing offense in the NFL that year. And if you remember... Things really changed for that team in 2018. They went on to win the Super Bowl. Things really changed about halfway through when Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick decided we're going to run the football. We are going to be a running team. That's what we're going to do. And Sony Michelle, remember, he had a pretty good end of that season. He had a pretty good playoff run. He scored the only touchdown in the Super Bowl against the Rams. I was actually there and witnessed that game, thankfully. But they became really a run-defined offense late in 2018, that led to that 2019 Super Bowl. What did Brady do in one-possession games in 2018? Well, breaking news, the GOAT was really good in one-possession games in 2018. He completed 65-plus percent of his passes. He threw 12 touchdowns. He only threw five interceptions, and his passer rating was over 99. It was 99.3. Okay, so Brady in 2018 with some semblance of Gronk and some semblance of Edelman in a top-five run game and McDaniels as the OC, et cetera, et cetera, he was good. And you could even say really good in one-possession games. But here's the first thing I learned, and I think this is crucial. Quarterback play in one-possession games is not always indicative of the team's record in those games. Why do I say that? Brady was really good in 2018 in one-possession games. Including the playoffs, Brady played in six one-possession games that year. What do you think his record was? Brady's record in 2018, even though he had a passer rating above 99, 12 touchdowns to five picks, Brady's record in one-possession games that year, greatest quarterback of all time, was 3-3. and Brady was 500 
in one possession games in 2018, even though he was really good in those situations, even though the team went on to win the Super Bowl, and even though he is the GOAT, he was still 3-3 three and three in you know one possession close games. Now let's look at 19. Here's the interesting thing about 19. I, I think Brady's 19 was his debacle year, quote-unquote. And what I mean by that is not that Brady was a debacle, but if you're looking at the Patriots team that year, if you're looking at the Patriots offense, 2019 was a bleep show. It was an absolute bleep freaking show. So what would you expect? Well, this is what happened during Brady's debacle year. And why was it a debacle? If I have to remind some of you, Gronk retired, right? Edelman was absolutely washed by then. This was the year that you brought in Antonio Brown for his cameo in Miami. Then you went out and you traded for Mohamed Sanu because you knew that the offense and the weapons were just brutal. This was not a well-constructed offense around Brady. And so that's why I call it his debacle year, because he just wasn't given enough help. Now, this might not shock you. Even the greatest of all time, when he wasn't given a lot of help, guess what? In one possession games, he fell off. He was not nearly the same guy in 2019 as he was in 2018. And as we know, Brady would move forward with Tampa Bay after leaving New England and end up being one of the better quarterbacks in the league for the next couple of years. So it wasn't a Brady issue in 2019. In 2019, during that debacle year, no help for Brady, his completion percentage in one possession games from 65-plus percent in 2018 to 54% in 2019. Brady completed just over 50% of his passes in one possession games. He went from 12 touchdowns to 8 touchdowns. He had the same amount of interceptions, 5, in 2018 and 2019. But his passer rating fell off a cliff. It plummeted. Brady's passer rating in 2019 was 74 in one possession games compared to 99.3 the year prior. And again, it wasn't that Brady fell apart, no matter what local talk show tried to tell you that. Brady wasn't falling apart. He wasn't falling off a cliff. It was what was around him. Even the GOAT, here's what you got to take away from that. Even the GOAT plays better when he has better talent around him and guys that he can trust. That might ring a bell a little bit. And even though Brady was, you know, not nearly as good in 2019 as he was in 2018, you know what his record was? Four and four. So quarterback play, again, even when we're talking about the greatest of all time, quarterback play, does not necessarily indicate how a team does or performs in one possession games. Brady was really good in 2018. He was three and three. He fell off a cliff numbers wise in one possession games in 2019. He was four and four, 500, 500. Quote one of my favorite movies of all time, identical. So that tells you about record and how much it indicates quarterback play might have to do with it in these close games. Again, I'm not saying that Mac Jones is better than Tom Brady. I I would be delusional if I'm saying that. I'm not saying that. If I'm saying that, please reach out to somebody and get me help. Find a family member, find a friend, get me help. 
Mac Jones is not anywhere near Tom Brady as a quarterback. He's not in the same universe as Tom Brady. I'm not saying that. So now we got the Brady numbers. Again, 2018, he was really good in one-possession games, 500 record. In 2019, he wasn't nearly as good in one-possession games, 500 record. The difference was not the quarterback. The difference was what was happening around the quarterback. 2018, top five rushing offense. Edelman and Gronk still on the team, not the same guys, but could still chip in. 2019, no Gronk. Edelman is washed. AB, that nightmare. Muhammad Sanu trade, yada, yada. Now let's talk about Mac because I gave you the Brady background. Mac in his rookie year. And I think a lot of people don't understand how good Mac was in his rookie year. Because, again, there's this, this narrative that, oh, well, you know, against good teams he did this. And, you know, he wasn't nearly the same guy later in the year. All of these things. Mac Jones, as a rookie in 2021, in one possession games. You want to know how he did? He did good. He did good. You might argue he did really good. And by the way, when I'm looking at 2021 for Mac, I'm not including the Buffalo wind game, right? That Monday night game, because give me a break. We don't count that. He threw like three passes. So that's not included in these stats, but it's also not included with this record, which I'll get into in a minute. So when you look at Mac Jones in his rookie year in one possession games, he was good. Mac in 2021, in one possession games, he completed better than 70% of his passes. He threw two touchdowns to every interception. He had six touchdowns. He had three interceptions. Mac Jones's passer rating in his rookie year was almost as good as Tom Brady's passer rating in one possession games back in 2018 when he was really good in one possession games. Mac's passer rating was just under 98 in his rookie year in one possession games. Brady was just over 99. You're talking about a point and a half separating the two quarterbacks. Again, record not indicative. Just don't look at the schedule and the W and L next to the game because even though Mac had roughly the same passer rating as Brady did back in 2018 in one possession games, Mac's record was actually two and three his rookie year in one possession games. He was a game under 500. Now, I equate what happened with Mac last year to what happened with Brady in 2019. I think that's fair. I think when you look at Brady's debacle around him in 2019, very similar to the debacle around Mac Jones last season. Weapons that he couldn't trust. Guys that weren't dependable. The big difference with Mac versus Brady in 22 versus Brady in 2018 was, of course, the coaching staff. Brady still had his guys coaching him. Mac, we know what happened last year. Disaster. Lack of weapons outside of Jacoby Myers. The offensive staff was a joke. The offensive line was pretty much a nightmare. So how do you think Mac Jones did in one possession games last year? This might shock you. Mac Jones, in his quote-unquote debacle year, a year ago, in one possession games, completed almost 65% of his passes. He had, again, two touchdowns to every interception. So in, in both full years that Mac has played, his rookie year and in last year in 2022, Mac, in one possession games, has thrown twice as many touchdowns as picks. He did even better than that last year, as a matter of fact. Eight touchdowns in two picks. 
four times as many touchdowns as he threw interceptions last year, even though he had a terrible coaching staff, an offensive line that couldn't get out of its own way, and really only one dependable weapon in Jacoby Myers. And he still threw in one possession games, eight touchdowns, two picks. He threw 64.53% completion percentage. And his passer rating, by the way, was over 91. So even though there was chaos around Mac Jones in one possession games, he played good football. He played considering very good football. In Brady's debacle season, Brady had a 74 passer rating. 74. Mac Jones in, in his debacle year last year had a 91.45 passer rating. So what was Mac's record last year during the debacle? In one possession games, Mac was four and three. And then you look at last week, Mac was good last week. I gave him a, a B minus grade. Didn't think he was great. Thought he was good. Negative plays, positive plays. I gave him a B minus. His passer rating against the Eagles on Sunday was 91.3. So his passer rating against the Eagles this past week, week one of this season, was almost exactly what the passer rating was last year in one possession games. And he threw three touchdowns and one pick on Sunday. Mac Jones has been pretty damn consistent when you look at the results and, and what he does statistically in one possession games from the beginning of his career up until this past Sunday. He's been pretty consistent. Now, here's what's crazy to me. Here's what's going to absolutely, I think, blow your mind. Because I, I threw some numbers at you to go along with the context and some opinion, right? That's what we do here. Here are some numbers that I think will absolutely blow your mind. When you take Tom Brady in one possession games in 2018 and 2019, his record, and this includes the playoffs, his record was 7-7. Seven and seven. Brady's final two years in New England, one possession games, the team was 7-7. Seven and seven. They were 500. 500 in one possession games. Mac Jones, in his first two years plus a game, last week's game, his record, and I had no idea it was going to work out this way. Mac Jones's record in one possession games, his first two years plus a game with the Patriots, is six and seven. Brady is seven and seven in one possession games his final two years. Mac Jones is six and seven in his first two years plus last week's game. And here's what's even crazier Mac Jones's record in one possession games would be I identical to Tom Brady's record in one possession games over his final two years with the team. If you included the Buffalo Bills wind game, Mac would have been seven and seven. So when you want to talk about record, if you want to include the Bills wind game, record is the same. The GOAT was seven and seven in one possession games. Mac Jones was seven and seven in one possession games. You had as likely of a chance to win a one possession game with Mac as you did with Tom Brady in 2018 and 2019. Hopefully, boom, that implodes your brain. Hopefully, that just blows your mind. <laughs> but again, record is not indicative in these one possession games necessarily. 
by quarterback play. So let's look at the stats. Brady's completion percentage in one possession games over his final two years with the Patriots was 60.5%, 60.52. Max completion percentage so far in one possession games through his Patriots career, much better than Brady's, 66.53. Again, I'm not saying Mac Jones is better than Tom Brady. The completion percentage in one possession game is better. How about touchdowns? Brady's thrown 20 or through 20. Mac Jones has thrown 17. Not too shabby. Brady, how about interceptions? Brady threw 10 picks. He threw 10 picks in one possession games in 2018, 2019. While Mac Jones has so far thrown six picks in one possession games in his Patriots career. And finally, when you look at passer rating, Brady's passer rating in one possession games his final two years as Patriots quarterback was 86.65. Mac Jones's passer rating so far in one possession games as the quarterback of the Patriots is actually better. It's 93.53. Now, stats don't tell the entire story. I understand that. How much points you know, were the team down? Did it get out of hand early and the other team laid back? All of those things, weather, of course, as it pours outside, I hear it just going crazy right now in Foxborough. But the weather, the tenor of the game, all of that. So all I'm, all I'm doing here, by, by providing you the stats and doing this work, is to come to this ultimate conclusion. Even though Mac Jones is nowhere near Tom Brady as a quarterback, I think Mac in the NFL has a, like a 10 to 15 ceiling if you're ranking him. I think that's his ceiling. He's got limitations physically. He makes mistakes. There's no doubt about that. I think he's got about a 10 to 15 ceiling. But here's what I would say after looking at these numbers and laying it all out for you and everybody else out there in the football world and in New England and in Boston sports fans. Number one, stop saying, stop saying the Patriots lose one score games only because of Mac Jones, because that is not true. Mac Jones's record of one possession games so far in his career is the same exact record as Tom Brady's record in one possession games in 2018, 2019. One score games. Not all about the quarterback. Quarterbacks help. They also have some negative plays. Also, stop saying that Mac Jones doesn't play well in one possession games or close games. That is not true. Statistically, Mac Jones, so far in his Patriots career, has actually been better in one possession games than Tom Brady was in 2018 and 2019. So stop saying he pees down his leg, he panics, he's a mess, all of that stuff. The numbers don't tell you that. The passer rating doesn't tell you it. The completion percentage doesn't tell you it. The turnovers don't tell you it. The touchdowns don't tell you that. So stop saying one-score games that the Patriots lose are only because of Mac Jones and reduce it down to one guy and stop saying that he doesn't play well in close games. And maybe just this, maybe we need to start looking closer at Bill Belichick's impact on one-possession games. Maybe the head coach should actually be looked at when we talk about these kinds of games. Maybe we should talk a little bit more when we talk about one possession games, about how the head coach and GM set up the personnel. Maybe just maybe if you have DeAndre Hopkins in that game on Sunday, instead of Kayshawn Booty, you win that game against the Eagles. Maybe just maybe, right? I think you would. I think DeAndre Hopkins would have made a play at some point in that fourth quarter 
that helped you win that game. That booty couldn't make, and even Kendrick Bourne couldn't make on that third and long. So how about the personnel? How about the staff in 2022 offensively, which was a joke? How about some of the game management things we've seen from the head coach over the past few years? How about the fourth down decisions that we saw on Sunday against the Eagles? So maybe, just maybe, instead of just boiling it down to Mac Jones being weak-minded or whatever the hell you're going to say in close games, maybe we actually look at these things and we look at how it how certain decisions impact the quarterback. And I'm not saying Mac's blameless. I'm not saying Brady was blameless when they would lose a close game. Quarterbacks make mistakes. Quarterbacks turn the ball over. Quarterbacks miss open receivers. It happens every week and every game to every quarterback. Interesting stat from Boston Sports Inf on X. For those wondering, here's what he tweeted out. Patriots went trailing after the first quarter in the Belichick era. Tom Brady, after trailing in the first quarter, his record was 47-27. and 27. That's a 635 win percentage. Without Brady, that counts all quarterbacks, right? That, that counts Cam, that counts Jimmy Garoppolo, that counts Brissett, that counts Castle, that counts Mac Jones. With all those quarterbacks, after trailing after the first quarter in the Belichick era without Brady, they've won 16% of their games. They're 5-26. and 26. With Brady, 47-27. and 27. Without Brady, 5-26 and 26. when trailing after the first quarter in the Bill Belichick era. Maybe we need to talk a little bit more about the head coach when we talk about losing this close games than we talk about the quarterback. Rate, review, like, and subscribe. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're also, of course, on YouTube. And feel free to leave a comment. Try not to be too racy. If you want to follow me, you see it on the screen there. If you're watching on YouTube, it's at Nick C Radio. Okay, let's jump to the Red Sox quickly. I have a couple more things I want to talk about today, and, and then we'll wrap everything up. I want to talk about the Red Sox because they lose both games in the in the doubleheader yesterday against the Yankees. How many of you watched? I don't know. How many people are watching? I can't imagine many. But because they lost both games to the Yankees yesterday, they are now tied with New York at 73-72 and 72 for last place in the AL East. Woo, baby. Woo-hoo-hoo. The race to the bottom between the Red Sox and the Yankees. Absolutely a joke. And here's what I've got to say. Heim Bloom has to go. And I know some people have said, well, yeah, he could go. He might go. It's between he and Cora. Heim Bloom needs to go. He needs to be out. I'm done. I'm ready to move on. I think many of you Red Sox fans are ready to move on from the guy. You know what Heim Bloom's regular season record is as GM of the Red Sox? 267 and 262. We're practically talking about a 500 baseball team throughout Bloom's three-year tenure. 500 baseball team in Boston. And look, you had 2020, which was COVID. It was weird. It was shortened. It was what it was. And you did have the 2021 ALCS. I will remind people, though, that in 2021, you had Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Christian Vasquez, Bobby Dahlbach, uh, Nathan Avaldi, Eduardo Rodriguez, all of those guys were not Heim Bloom guys. You don't get to the ALCS that year without that foundation. And now we see what happened the last two years. Last year, last place. This year, right now, as I speak, 
tied for last place at 73 and 72, looking like a 500 ball club. I will give Heim credit for trading for Kyle Schwarber at the 21 deadline. That was a great move. But overall, the record is what the record is, 267 and 262. The biggest decisions. He has swung and missed. The Mookie Betts return, disastrous. Jeter Downs, no longer with the franchise. Alex Verdugo is a solid everyday player. Nothing great. Connor Wong might be an everyday catcher or at least not many catchers catch every day anymore. He could be a number one catcher possibly, right? But the Mookie Betts trade, you didn't get nearly enough. And then you decided to go with Trevor Story over Xander Bogarts, which was a nightmare decision. Trevor Story has been a mess. Bogarts hit about 270 out in San Diego, just under 20 home runs, I think. Not like he's lighting the world on fire this year, but he's been a hell of a lot better than Trevor Story has been. Let's get to the farm system. The farm system. Everybody's talking about the farm system with Heim Bloom, and everybody uses the Baseball America. Oh, they're the fifth best franchise when it comes to farm system in baseball. I'll give you Baseball America's number five ranking, but how about we talk about ESPN's number 14 ranking? How about we talk about Bleacher Report's 16th ranking? How about we look at the MLB Pipeline, which has the Red Sox farm system ranked as 16th? Bleacher Report, 16. MLB Pipeline, 16. ESPN, 14. Baseball America is really the only outlet that has the Red Sox anywhere near the top five in farm systems in Major League Baseball. And I'm t- it's not an either-or scenario here, right? I think people have kind of bought into this idea. Not many of you left, but there are some people going, yeah, but, you know, the idea was to rebuild the farm system and build the next Dodgers and blah, blah. You can do both. You can you can spend money. You can make big moves. You can also build your farm system. Dave Dombrowski did some of that, right? Dombrowski made big trades, but he also kept some of the prized prospects. You can do both at the same time. You're in Boston. This is not either or. And it should not be treated as an either or. You don't have to spend on talent or develop talent. You can do both. And you could argue that Bloom has not done a good enough job up to this point of doing either of those one two, of those two. And then you get to the trade deadline. My goodness. His decision making the last two years has been atrocious. He he really wouldn't make a, a decision and take a path last year. And then this year was a mess. Again, Boston Sports Inf on X. If you bought the help is on the way story from Heim Bloom, right? We're not going to acquire a big name because we have Chris Sale coming back and Trevor Story coming back and Tanner Houck coming back. Story has been awful. He hit, he's hit 185. You picked up Urias. He's hit 224. Chris Sale came back. He's got a 5.53 ERA, pushed back, by the way, due to velocity concerns and performance concerns. Tanner Houck's ERA is over six since he came back from the facial fracture. Garrett Whitlock came back. Whoopity-doo. He has a 5.68 ERA. And I'll add to Boston Sports Inc.'s post, and I'll say this for Boston Sports Info. You kept James Paxton instead of trading him to get something valuable at the deadline. And Paxton's ERA on July 8th was 2.73. His ERA, when you just recently shut him down, was four and a half. Swing and a miss from Heim Bloom. 
You tell me what this guy does as a GM at the elite level. His overall record is five games above 500 in the regular season. He has swung and missed on the biggest decision, and you could add decisions of his tenure. The farm system, if you go with three out of the four outlets I gave you, respected outlets, the farm system is middle of the pack. And his trade deadlines the last two years have been a joke. Heimbloom needs to go. Rate, review, like, and subscribe. Final story that I got for you. I just want to touch on this for a couple of minutes. I know there's not a ton of soccer fans listening, but I've got to talk about this just all-out embarrassment that's happening with the New England Revolution. And even if you're not a, a soccer fan, you should listen to this because it's quite the story. So the Revs sporting director and coach Bruce Arena, he resigns on Saturday this past weekend. He was initially placed on administrative leave on August 1st for, quote-unquote, inappropriate and insensitive remarks, which, by the way, Arena did admit to some wrongdoing. We don't know exactly what. No specifics really given. He, he goes on leave the beginning of August, and then early on in September, he ends up resigning. No one from the team really has said much of anything to the players up until the last day or two, which I'll get to. The fan base is kind of just left wondering what the hell's going on. It's all very strange. And then things got worse yesterday. This story in The Athletic from Pablo Moore and Tom Bogert. Revs players refused to train. That's right. They refused to train. And Hardy actually reported this on 98.5 earlier in the day yesterday. Here's what the story said in The Athletic. On Monday afternoon, players and staff of the Revolution were told in an email written by team president Brian Bellello that there would be a mandatory meeting early on Tuesday morning before the team was scheduled to train. Quote, I'll be addressing what has transpired at the club, giving this group a chance to ask questions. The meeting with Bellello, speaking with the players, lasted approximately an hour. Players demanded more info on the investigation that led to Arena's resignation. Unsatisfied with their time with Bolello, players requested and were granted time with the entire coaching staff. They got everybody together. That meeting lasted longer, approximately two hours. In that meeting, Arena's former assistant and when this story was written, now interim head coach Richie Williams was asked about his reported involvement in the investigation into his former boss. So Richie Williams and Arena, they had some issues. Williams was directly involved with the investigation into what Arena had done and said. And then when Arena is put on leave, Williams, who again is directly involved with this investigation and might have been the snitch on Arena, might have been the guy that actually told club officials what was going on or what Arena said, that's the guy who becomes interim head coach. On top of that, it certainly sounds like Williams was going to be out after this year because Arena didn't really want him around. So you've got Williams, who was reportedly directly involved with the investigation. He's the guy that takes over for Arena. Everything goes silent for a month, a month plus, and then Arena ends up resigning over the weekend. So Williams is having this conversation with the players, and when the players asked Williams – about his involvement with the investigation, Williams, again, didn't have anything to say. Told the players that he was unable to comment. So now the players didn't get enough from the officials at the top of the club, like Bolello. And then they meet 
with the coaching staff and they asked the interim head coach what the hell's going on and about his involvement in the investigation. And again, they get no answers. Back to the story in The Athletic, several members of the coaching staff, including assistants Shari Joseph and Vandenberg, had publicly expressed their support for Arena. Neither were under contract for the 24 season, and according to sources within the club, neither were expected to return after this season ends. Williams and Joseph, get this, sources said, have clashed repeatedly with the two having to be physically separated on one occasion last year. An absolute mess. And then last night, the revolution released a statement. And here's the statement. If you think this couldn't get any more ridiculous, the revolution announced that several personnel changes to the club's coaching staff were happening last night. Uh, Clint Payet, head coach of Revolution 2, will serve as interim head coach. So PA becomes the interim head coach of the revolution. That would be the, if you're keeping track, second interim head coach within the last month plus. Uh, then you've got Marcelo Santos, assistant coach of Revolution 2, joining as an assistant coach. In addition, the Revolution said goodbye to Dave Vandenberg and Joseph. Williams, meanwhile, he's apparently hanging around. This is the, the second coaching change in four days. Williams was formalized as the interim head coach on Saturday night. You don't have any really info publicly. Obviously, the players weren't happy with the lack of info they got from everybody they spoke with earlier in the week. They decided to just not go to training. <sighs> Screw you. Done with this. And then today, right before I started to record this podcast, there was a press conference with the Revolution with Bellello. And again, nothing was really said. There was a question about Richie Williams and what you know he's doing and what his role with the team is now because he, he went from an assistant to the interim head coach to what is going on. And there was really no information given. They were like, well, you know, he's going he's gonna to hang out with the club, but we're going to give him some time away from the club. And as far as his role, we really don't have anything for you. What? And from what I saw, I saw about five to ten minutes of this press conference. It was just platitudes and more nothingness. And this is just an embarrassment. It's absolutely an embarrassment for the club. And everybody involved should be embarrassed from the crafts on down. It doesn't look like anybody knows what is happening. It doesn't, it doesn't look like anybody has any clear idea how to handle this thing. It's been a mess. And if this was any of the big four, this story would be the biggest story in sports right now. Think about all the stuff that happened with Ime Udoka. And look, I don't know what the allegations are with Arena because nobody's saying anything. But I'm not trying to compare the, the situation as far as what Udoka might have or might not have done and Arena might have or might not have done. But think about how big the Udoka story was when it happened. It, it, would, be, it would be that big here and probably even bigger because the revolution have not handled this well at all. I gave you Mac Jones, shocking, unbelievable statistics that might have just changed your mind as far as who Mac Jones is as a quarterback. We talked about the Red Sox, and they need to fire Bloom when this season is over. As a matter of fact, I, I couldn't care less if they fired him tonight. And then we talked about the revolution. That's what we do. 
We'll still talk about Celtics and Bruins. That's what we do. Uh, rate, review, like, subscribe to the Nick Cattle Show. We're on Apple Pods. We're on Spotify. We're also on YouTube, of course. You can leave your comments. You can follow me at Nick C Radio. It is tremendously important to support this program if you like it, because that's the only way we are going to get traction on this and grow the brand and grow the community. It's the only way. You got to give us that thumbs up. You got to subscribe and do those things so the algorithms help us out. Tomorrow, we will start to get into the Miami Dolphins and the game coming up on Sunday night. Until tomorrow's pod, be safe, be good, be healthy. And this has been the Nick Cattle Show.